Welcome to the Spring Forth Podcast, a ministry of the First Congregational Church of McGregor, Iowa. This recording has been made for November 22nd, 2020. Christ the King Sunday. Good morning, as some of you have noticed, we are going without music today, so it'll be a spoken word service, and it will probably be short, but good morning to you. The call to worship is from Psalm 95, and today is the final Sunday in the season of Pentecost. We traditionally call this Christ the King Sunday or the Reign of Christ Sunday. So that's why our paraments have changed to mark the seasonal color. Next week, we will begin our Advent season and make our way towards Christmas. So this is the, this is the close of year A, and then next week we will start year B in the lectionary cycle, three-year cycle. Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. The dry land which his hands have formed. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For the Lord is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hands. Oh, that today we would listen to his voice. Are there any other announcements that we would like to lift up today? Any highlights, comings and goings? (laughs) Okay. Oh, did they? And, And where does that mean they go next? Oh, Big Red. Okay. But who's following the contest? (laughs) Exactly. Millie goes, it's out of my hands. It's out of my hands. I don't know this man. (laughs) Okay. Nick Turner would like us to pray for him today. He says, I have come a long way. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Prayers for Nick Trundle as we get to that time. Thank you, Mary. We're having live chat worship. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, whose will it is to restore all things in your well-beloved Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords, mercifully grant that the peoples of the earth, divided and enslaved by sin, may be freed and brought together under his most gracious rule, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So we return to the gospel for our closing scripture for this season. And the reading comes to us from Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. It is the analogy of the sheep and goats. 
where Matthew is describing the judgment of the peoples of the earth when the Son of Man returns. And this is, this is a text that's really good for Bible study because there are so many, so many bits in here that could lead into a rich conversation. Of course, we'll be kind of short today, so who might even have time for that rich conversation? But as you listen to it, try to suspend placing yourself in one category or the other. Let the words of the scripture sort of wash over you and then we will kind of meditate together on where Matthew is taking us in this rather interesting and sometimes tricky passage. Sheep and the goats, a reading from Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes into his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes, and clothe you? When did we see you sick, or in prison, and visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, that whatever you did for one of the least of the brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, with the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He'll reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of the Holy Gospel. Let us pray. Gracious God, we submit ourselves to you today for the conclusion of this liturgical season, but not the conclusion of our spiritual journey. As we close this season out, we once again turn our hearts and minds towards your Son. Jesus Christ, who in his ministry of reconciliation called 
all underneath one roof, called us together to be brothers and sisters, called us to walk in his footsteps, called us to love God and to love neighbor as self. We take stock of this opportunity that has always been set before us, an opportunity to live in your righteousness and to allow that righteousness to envelop us. May we never turn our ears from you that you may instruct us in season and out of season that we would remember always once again those two very important commandments to love you first and foremost and to love our neighbor as ourself. Upon these hang every righteous thing. Help us once again to stay on that path. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, gracious Lord. May you look with favor upon us now and always in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you want to pass it for a good sleepless night, this is your text. At first it reads quite simply that Jesus comes and separates the individuals of creation on the basis of what they did and did not do. That seems quite basic, quite elementary. These were observant, those were not. But what's so interesting about the way that Matthew aligns this passage is that neither party knew what they were doing or not doing. They were unaware, they were surprised. The Son of Man came to pronounce judgment on the basis of being able to make Christ known. And when we have the individuals who were considered the blessed ones, and God was alerting them to their righteousness, it came as a shock to them. When did we see you, Lord, naked, hungry, in prison, sick, and serve you? We don't recall doing that at all sort of blank stares. And he says, if you had done these things to the least of these, and that's the operative word throughout this passage, is the least of these. So we have to figure out who are the least of these. See, nobody likes to be defined as the least of these because we are a people who like to point to our accomplishments and say, look at this thing that I have done. Look at this accomplishment that I have wrought. Look at this education and this learning that I have amassed. Look at these children that I have raised, this business that I have founded and it thrives. We like to point to our accomplishments, so we don't like to think of ourselves as the least of these. We don't like to think of ourselves as people who are deficient in any regard, in need of anything. In fact, it seems a mark of weakness if we have to point to instances in our life where we have needed the assistance of others. We have needed the uplift and the encouragement of others. We don't want to speak about those times when we were down and out and down in our luck and needed an uplifting hand. So we do not think of ourselves as people who are in need of the services and the blessings of others. 
In fact, even in relationship to us and Christ, we rejoice in the fact that God gives us blessings. We find that quite comforting. It's not because of some deficiency that we had. It's just because of the depth of God's love for us. God doesn't love us because we're deficient. Perish the thought, we say, that I'm together, and that's why God's love falls upon me, because God has created me in the image. But the Son of Man is speaking specifically to individuals who allowed their blessing to fall on individuals who had passed through the cracks in the measures of society. That the community had forgotten about them. That the least of these could be filled a blank in with any story of loss and woe and discontent that you can think of. The least of these could be those who have been beaten down by social economic power structures. The least of these could be those who always find themselves on the receiving end of whatever the current power structure is. The least of these could be those who simply have not been ushered into their agency. I mean, there's hierarchies of every kind. Children have not the same opportunities as adults. They do not have the same measure of agency. So the least of these could be those individuals who don't have the means to carry themselves, manage their own households. They are dependent upon others. The least of these could be those who are sick and in prison, those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, as Jesus says. But what's interesting is that Jesus puts himself in the context of those individuals who are in need. Because when we serve those individuals in need, we are serving Christ. So Christ superimposes his likeness upon all of those who have been dealt an unfair hand, who've been mishandled, who have been jettisoned and set aside, who've been forgotten. The individuals who have been forgotten have Jesus' face on there. I suppose in that light, then we don't mind being defined as the least of these. If that means that we get the imprint of Christ upon us, then okay, count me as lost. Count me as broken. I'm in. I'm disenfranchised. I will run up and down Main Street and talk about all my tales of woe just so I can have the imprint of Christ upon me. The question is, is when we are in actively engaged in service, we don't know what we are doing. That's what's so wonderful about these sheep here. The operative term is, is that they were living in accordance with their ideals. They were living in accordance with something that they knew was out of place in their communities, out of place in their societies, and they addressed those concerns. And they did so and didn't even think about as they were sort of dispensing righteousness, dispensing compassion, dispensing forgiveness. They didn't think that they were doing it to the actual face of God. They saw an individual who had a need. They saw that they had the ability, the time, the resources to meet that need, and so they met that need. Didn't even give it a second thought. But now here in this judgment, they found out that now they have been counted as righteous. 
They go, what are, you, what are you counting us as righteous? That was just what we did. And Jesus says, because you have woven that into the fabric of your being and you met those needs, even at the expense of your own comfort, your own identity, your own resources, because you met the needs of those who were considered the least of these, you served me. Now, we have the goats, who were also equally surprised. Because now the Son of Man says, get away from me! And go to the fires that have been prepared for you, for you did not feed me when I was hungry. You did not give me drink when I was thirsty. You did not clothe me. You did not visit me. You did not tend to me when I was ill. And the goat's like, Wait a minute, when, when, Lord, when did we see you thirsty? When were you naked and needed clothing? When, we don't, we don't recall these instances. Take me back, um, give me a refresher course. Because I, I, don't, I don't recall ever at a time, Lord, when you were in need and I didn't meet that need. And again, the Son of Man replies, if you did not do these things to the least of these, you did not do them to me. What a quandary this passage is, because we have both parties, both the sheep, both the goats, being maligned for things that they did not do in terms of the goats and being blessed and praised for things that they didn't know that they were doing. It's a very tricky passage indeed, because we want to, we want to classify ourselves. We want to say, okay, um, I don't want to be a goat. I, I, I know I don't want that. I don't want to be the person who actually has the ability to transform my community. And I said, oop, too busy today. I don't want to be that person. But then again, it's a little bit presumptuous for us to all say and count ourselves as sheep. <laughs> it's a little too convenient. And then we have these least of these. The least of these. Because it's the least of these, this unnamed group of individuals that determines whether or not we understand the gospel or we do not. So the important, the important group in this passage are the unnamed. It's neither the sheep nor the goats. But how they interacted with this teeming mass of undefined people other than we know them as the least of these, the least of these in the kingdom. Church, Christendom, has unfortunately styled itself throughout the generations as the place to be. And we have taken great pains to eke out a sort of uniqueness in our Christendom that we have allowed ourselves to be parceled out into denominations, into particular theological interests, into pedigree. There are clearly wealthier churches than others. There are little storefront churches where you go in there and that music is just hopping and everyone's wearing hoodies and jeans, but they are, you know the spirit's happening in there. And then you have 
fancy huge temples with ancient stained glass and plaques on the walls and kind of a icy emotional chill <laughs> sort of in there. You're like, this stuff is all about tradition, but it's been a long time since they've had a good gospel choir. They're both church. They're both church, valid forms of religious expression. But the question is, is at what space do you feel that you can be given the tools to recognize the least of these? If we come to church, if we allow ourselves to become a part of a church so we can escape the populace that we are called to serve, we have to think about that. We have to question, why would we want to use our religious spaces? Why would we want to use our theology? Why would we want to use our understanding of the gospel and our Bible studies to actually get away from the very call of the gospel? The best work that Jesus ever did was he noticed individuals. You can read the gospels for yourself. He walked around neighboring towns and villages. Sometimes he stayed in Jerusalem and Israel, sometimes he kind of wandered into neighboring territories where Judaism wasn't heavily practiced. And he met and he talked with people and he cured their illnesses and he forgave their sins and he broke bread with them. All to the confusion, if not vexation of his disciples, who had been taught otherwise. They said, Jesus, these people are not along the way. They're off the path. They're not, they're not one of us. And Jesus says, the Son of Man came not for those who are well, but for those who are sick. So Jesus, in taking what God had given him, this sort of mandate, to bring people back into the reality and the understanding of God, just let his ministry go far and wide. Now, if we're going to, if we're going to get the most out of the gospel, we have to be willing to allow ourselves not to let the gospel put a stranglehold on us as to who's worthy to receive this. We have to let the gospel set us free. to suspend us from notions of worthiness, prerequisites that we set up so often that sort of filter in and influence how we do our discipleship. I do not know if at the end of my life, which livestock animal I'm going to be. Frankly, I, Laura and I own goats. I frankly wouldn't. And I've known people who are shepherds. I wouldn't want to be either animal, to tell you the truth. I mean, I find the whole metaphor a little bit offensive. But in terms of who's aware of the need for the gospel and who's unaware of the need for the gospel, okay, that's a valid argument. If Matthew broke it down in that way and says, Blessed are those of you who kept your eyes open. Blessed are those of you who kept your hearts open. Blessed are those of you who did not judge, but served and let your grace and forgiveness fall upon whomever. 
And cursed are those of you who were stingy with your time, with your resources, very liberal with your opinions, but other than that, not a lot of hospitality. Now, if Matthew is if Matthew's telling that to us, if that's what Matthew is getting at with his little livestock metaphor here, uh, okay, now you have my attention. Now you have my attention. Because Jesus came and said, listen, I have come not that you would be enslaved, but that you would be set free. Now, what does that freedom look like to us? This is a congregational church. And the congregationalism touts themselves on faith, fellowship, and freedom. Now, freedom can be used and can be weaponized. Some congregationalists say, well, I'm a congregationalist because I like the freedom aspect. And what they're saying by that statement is, I like to be free from those I don't want to have to be bothered with. But what if we heard freedom as not freedom from this or that obligation or this or that community? What if we heard freedom as freedom to serve? Freedom to engage, freedom to bless, freedom to sit down and listen to another person's narrative. Freedom to expand our understanding of this vast world and its inhabitants. Now that kind of freedom is a freedom that I think Jesus modeled and demonstrated in his ministry. Though he came from the house of Abraham, though he had and shared lineage with King David, he did not limit his scope to that audience alone. He opened it up and says, you know, there are some other individuals as well who might also benefit from this message. Let's go to them. So he went to those neighboring towns and villages. He went to the Gentiles. He engaged those individuals. And in doing so, he brought the realm of God to individuals that if it were left up to the chosen individuals who knew very well that God had blessed them and fortified them, the vastness of God's domain would have never spread like it did. And that's still our mandate today, that we who interact with the gospel, we always have the choice set before us do we keep this gospel to ourselves? Is it good for us and those who share our abode, who share our likeness? Or is this gospel an invitation for us to venture into four ways and avenues and areas that normally, without the push of God, we would never darken those doorways? This is the responsibility of every church. Every church, no matter what theological stripe or spectrum they want to come down on. At the end of the day, our responsibility is to be individuals who are keen and eager to build a community and a ministry of reconciliation. That's what Jesus did. And that's what his disciples are called to do. So do not worry too much about how you're going to be defined, what livestock hat you're going to wear in the afterlife. Worry about right now how to define, how to target, 
and how to minister to the quote-unquote least of these. Because there are individuals right now that could be blessed and served by First Congregational or Living Faith or St. Mary's or St. Paul's or First Lutheran or Evangelical Free or St. Peter's. You want me to go on? Any church in our area, any church within our sort of 100-mile radius, we are all called to attend to the least of these. But we cannot get there if we do not first define nor target and serve these least of these. And trust me, if you have been paying any attention at all during the course of your life on earth, the list, the names being added to the list of the least of these is growing every day. You can't throw a rock and not hit someone who has some level of need. How we address it says everything about our willingness to allow God to sort of invade our being and redirect us from our normal self-absorbed ways to more expansive thinking and living. Because when we start to do these things, we will have no awareness that we are doing them. The sheep had no awareness that they were sharing the blessing. The goats had no awareness that they were not. But Jesus tells us, or at least Matthew's Jesus tells us, that if we have something to share and do not share it, we are robbing individuals of the opportunity to taste the goodness of God. And that's a proposition that I do hope that we can take up. I hope we trust ourselves enough to say, okay, I don't know where this is going. I don't know where it might lead. I have no idea what's going to be asked of me, but I'm still in. I will still commit myself and I will still try to do these things even if I do not know the end game. So may God bless us to hear with new ears, see with new eyes, and to release ourselves to the push of the Holy Spirit, which will remind us of everything that Jesus taught us when he was here on earth. Let us pray. Loving and most merciful God, we... strain to listen to you. You'll forgive us when we say that there have been a few things that have transpired this year that have kind of drowned you out. There's been so many changes to our life, so many changes to the fabric of our world, and we have to say our world, that it is possible that you probably got lost in the shuffle. Oh, we still love you. You're still important to us. But you see, your words, your mission, your endeavors kind of got put on mute as we scrambled to find out how best to live now in this rapidly changing environment where the things that we could count on, we can't count on them like we used to. 
we miss the ease of access that we had, the ability to come and go where we want to, to not have to worry about infecting or becoming infected. You'll have to forgive us because we took it all for granted. Our ease of access, our ability to just jump in the car and drive to who knows where, or dare we say even get on a plane and fly to who knows where. Now we're hyper-conscious about the air we breathe, the company we keep, and how close we stand to one another, how much time we spend indoors with people who are not part of our immediate family. We make very accurate lists now, so when we go out to run errands, we don't spend a moment longer than we have to in those stores, because we don't know what might be lying around. We don't even handle products the same way. We only grab the stuff that we need, and we throw it right in the basket, and then we'll scour it when we get home. We're living very differently. And let's be honest, God, we don't like it. But we can't outrun it. So now, we return to you just for a bit of sanity, just for a taste of normalcy, right? Because you're the same today, yesterday, forever. There's consistency in the Holy Spirit. So we come to you because as we conclude this liturgical season, as we think about what it means for the final judgment, as we think about what more we have to do, we need to put all of this into context. Maybe the priorities of the first century were clothing and feeding and attending to the needs of others, and that hasn't changed. But now the way that we attend to the needs of others is, well, we can execute the plan differently. Maybe the importance now is making sure that we listen instead of waiting for our turn to speak. Maybe we decide to humble ourselves and embrace the safety precautions because the life that we save might be someone who's important to us. Maybe we rediscover patience because we realize that it's just not our country, our state, our county, our town that's dealing with this, but an entire world, which means right now there's somebody in India that we will never meet who's dealing with the same thing that we're dealing with. There's a tremendous universality that's happening in the globe right now, and I think we're missing it. There's this great call for us to be better human beings, more connected than we've ever been before, and we're missing it. So we come to you, God, because you've always had the answers before. You've always been so consistent before. What will it take for you to get our attention and to tell us that all of this grousing and all of this worrisome about, oh, what are we going to do for Thanksgiving and our Christmas is ruined and how dare they? Why don't you teach us again, God, what's truly important? Why don't you remind us of who the least of these are? And these momentary hiccups that we've experiencing 
pale in comparison to what we really truly could lose if we lose sight of you and your people. I'm not asking that you miraculously make us all in the sheep camp, just like that. Easy access, serving everybody, writing checks, being bold in our witness. I mean, that's, that's good stuff. I'd like that. But this is not magical thinking. We've got to put the numbers in. What I would like to do on behalf of this congregation is to pray that you would increase our patience, our fortitude, and our awareness. Because we can't attend to things when we're not aware of them. And without fortitude, and without patience, we won't get through this time. We'll run amok with our ideas, with our frustrations. We'll hurt one another. We'll hurt ourselves. So as we look forward towards the Advent season, the season where we prepare ourselves for the arrival of your infant son, on all the joy that that beholds, ground us in a practical humility. A practical humility that says, do your part the best you can where you are. We can only control ourselves. That's all we have. So with the inspiration and the input of your Holy Spirit, may we make a better showing. May we demonstrate that your gospel is not lost on us. May we be at peace. We ask, Lord, that you bless and keep those who are sick with COVID and other diseases and illnesses. The numbers are egregious right now. Hospitals overwhelmed. It's a scramble. It's a frightening time. But we pray for these individuals and we pray for those who are working and serving. But again, like I said last week, our prayers are good, but our actions are important as well. As much as we want to pray for our first responders and our frontline and essential workers, we can also ease their burden by not running unnecessary errands by not insisting upon our own way to do and go and wear what we want. It is our responsibility, or it is our collective responsibility to care for those we will never meet because they are created in your image. And as a result, their life is equally important. So we ask, Lord, that you let your blessing fall upon us, we who find ourselves right where we're at with our own concerns and our own joys. May you receive each and every petition that we set before you today, especially for our friend, Nick Trundle. You've been working in his life. 
he has felt your grace. And he thanks you for helping him to get to that place where you know he can be. So I ask that you would continue to work in and through Nick's life and the people that you have surrounded him with who remind him of you and your love and your support and encouragement. Keep that coming. Because, you know, good things are going to come out of this blessing. So receive these blessings in Jesus' name. giving you thanks and praise for receiving these, the petitions of your people, your faithful. May you collect them into your care. Let your blessing fall upon us as we pray as one. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I also forgot to mention at the top of the hour that we continue our prayers for Mary Beck and family as Dennis passed away last Monday. You may ready your communion kits as we receive our affirmation of faith. We covenant with the Lord and with one another and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in his holy ways. We will strive to be doers of the word and not hearers only, to be firm in faith, quickened in hope, and constant in charity. And we will consecrate our time, talent, and substance, and influence as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. On a night in which Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. He took bread, he blessed it, divided it, and says, this is my body which has been given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. In presenting the cup, he says, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood shed for the remission of sins. Let us take the cup of salvation. It is with joy that we are able to receive this sacrament, signs of your gracious love. So once again, on behalf of the congregation, I ask you, Lord, that you not only would forgive us for our oversights, our hastiness, our poor decisions, and our general irascible natures, but that you would fill us once again with your goodness and that you would allow us to see the world as a possibility, not as an impediment. Help us to do the right thing. Help us to be consistent in our faith. Help us to meditate and to ponder on who are the least of these, and then to find them, and to bless them as you have blessed us. I think 
we will uncannily find that there is not much daylight between the least of these and ourselves. Keep your eye on us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please rise as you are able for our benediction. And now may the peace of Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you now and always. May it keep you and guide you in peace. Go in peace. Serve the Lord.